You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze the various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, distributed ledger technologies and cryptocurrencies. You are listening to part 2 of our two part series on blockchain basics. In this part 2, we will be covering the most fundamental technical terms of blockchains. So we'll be discussing what a block is, what mining is, what are signatures, and other popular terms such as zero knowledge proofs or quantum resistance, etc. So Nikhil, do you want to start off with the most fundamental one, that is what is a block in blockchain? Sure. So uh blockchains as 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 the term implies uh there is a block and these blocks are connected together and then hence blockchain uh so block is essentially is the fundamental building block of a blockchain and uh it can be described as a collection of information now uh in depending on the type of blockchain this information can be in the form of uh, a set series of uh you know financial uh, data entries which would be kind of like a ledger uh or it could be some other pieces of data um, but usually it is a set of uh, transactions or states of the blockchain that is stored so uh why are these uh, so so these these states this uh, this block basically consists of the set of data uh there are various rules depending on the blockchain how this set of data is gathered together some of them are time based so every 10 minutes in the case of bitcoin some of them are uh, you know uh, just directly one block one one data piece of data at a time um, uh, some of them are uh, connected via a linked list type of chain some of them are connected via graph there are there are various ways in which they are grouped together but they say ideally they are grouped together and and what actually happens is once these data is grouped together a hash is created of that particular group of data so that it creates kind of like a signature sh- showing that this particular uh, data is stored together in this particular sequence and in this particular way and this this hash is then combined with the original set of data and along with the uh, the proof of the miner the saying that they have won the they have won uh, or they have the authority to add to them add to the ledger um that proof this hash and the and the data is basically then sent out as a block great so the next term is what is known as double spend and double spend is actually a a problem that has exi- that existed in in the field of finance which basically roughly refers to uh, the same money being spent twice nikhil can you explain that what the double spend is and you know how blockchains and bitcoin solve that problem right so to step back a little bit uh, a double spend is a fundamental problem where um, uh, the same money is uh, given to two different people and usually this is a data entry problem so essentially what happens is that you have a ledger or a database where you are keeping track of all of this and uh, there is some kind of uh, error or uh, issue that happens and uh, you basically end up with a with incorrect uh, data being done or fraudulent entries being created where uh, multiple people get 
the same same money basically uh, so one of the fundamental challenges when building a blockchain essentially is to address the double spending problem because in the term uh, at least in the centralized banking system you had a bank and you had centralized controls and so basically there was a way to be able to say with authority that okay you know the money was spent and therefore it cannot be spent again uh, but in a blockchain network which is inherently decentralized this is a problem so essentially double spending uh, in a blockchain when whenever you describe blockchains double spending is a major challenge that is being addressed and it is addressed in various ways uh, it is addressed uh, you know using uh, the the mechanism of uh, blocks it is addressed by validation it is addressed by using signatures there there are various ways in which double spending is prevented uh in in a blockchain uh, but ideally but but essentially that's what it is it is essentially the idea that okay alice can give uh, said, executes a transaction saying that she has given one bitcoin to bob and then simultaneously executes another transaction that says that same bitcoin has been sent to charlie and uh, she has only one bitcoin and she has done two transactions to two parties trying to transfer that same transaction so, so that is essentially a double spend Great. So moving on, uh, some basic terms like what is a node, what is mining, and who are the miners. So, node is essentially a term that comes from uh, network theory and, and computer networks. Essentially, it refers to a uh, computer. So it's it's one of the servers or computers or uh, uh, machines that is running the blockchain software. Uh, in a blockchain network the one of the participants in the blockchain network is referred to as a node where mining and miners come in is in a specific case of a specific type of blockchain known as proof of work blockchains so proof of work blockchains we will discuss a little later uh, but the idea here essentially is that uh, you have certain uh, what do you call it tasks that need to be done uh, one of these tasks in the network essentially is the addition of data into the ledger and uh, the person or persons that are competing they have a competition to uh, basically win the right to add uh, the next piece of data to a ledger so it's a continuous competition every piece of data or every block that needs to be added uh, is competed for and uh, so you have a group of people who are continuously competing for the right to do this and there are various mechanisms consensus mechanisms to do that uh, the process or the the amount of the the uh, process that these uh, nodes follow these these people follow in order to to compete in this competition is known as mining and uh, this group of people are known as miners. Great. So moving on, as you mentioned earlier, uh, so mining and miner is specific to a specific, uh, you know, to, to a type of blockchain that is working on a proof of work system. So that brings us to what are consensus mechanisms, right? So consensus mechanism includes what is known as a proof of work scheme or a proof of stake scheme. Uh, can you explain, can you define what proof of work is and what proof of stake is? Right. Before I do proof of work and proof of stake, let's get into what is a consensus mechanism, right? So essentially, consensus mechanism uh, 
is the mechanism by which a network, uh, a blockchain network, agrees, you know, uh, agrees in as a group as to what is the data to be added to a ledger, and once it has been added, whether it has been correctly added, right? So the consensus mechanism, uh, since this is a software system, the consensus mechanism essentially is an algorithm. Uh, but is interesting in blockchain is that uh, these these algorithms have uh, uh, crypt, crypto economic incentives. So they they usually have some sort of uh, game game mechanism design or their game theory uh, characteristics to provide economic incentives for the participants to actually you know, compete and spend resources and, and, and achieve consensus. Uh, there are two types of uh, consensus like, uh, like Krishna had mentioned. Uh, primary, one of them is the proof of work consensus. It is one of the, uh, uh, it is the consensus mechanism followed by Bitcoin. Therefore, uh, it could be argued that, that that is the primary consensus mechanism nowadays. Uh, the idea with proof of work essentially is that it is a probabilistic solution to what is known as the Byzantine fault tolerance for, for Byzantine general problem. Uh, it's a consensus mechanism in which the creator of a block or the miner, as we were talking, uh, as we have called him, is uh, determined. The miner who uh, who can who can add this block to the blockchain ledger is is determined by uh, a cryptographic puzzle that they win. So they have to continuously keep trying to solve a cryptographic puzzle and the random person that actually, the random miner that actually wins this particular cryptographic uh, puzzle is given the privilege uh, to actually add their block or their version of the block to the blockchain. And... Uh, once they win this particular competition, they have a proof of this particular winning, which can be easily verified by everybody else in the system. So they once, as soon as they win this, they add their proof and uh, broadcast this to the rest of the network. The rest of the network checks. And uh, if the proof is valid, they accept that block into their ledgers. So... This is a completely probabilistic uh, puzzle. So essentially, there is a way to increase the uh, difficulty or lower the threshold of probability. So you have to do more work. And uh, this is one of the reasons why proof of work is considered to be one of the most expensive and wasteful of resources uh, in terms of the consensus mechanisms. The other uh, popular consensus mechanism is proof of stake. Uh, here, essentially, there is a lot more uh, crypto economic and game theory aspects to it. So the idea here essentially is that uh, the consensus mechanism in which the the forger of the next block, so they are not called miners anymore, they are called forgers. Uh, the forger of the next block is determined based on the stake that a user has in the system. 
So essentially, there are multiple types of proof of stake, but ideally, essentially, there are variations on this theme of, uh, you know, the greater the amount of stake you have in the system and the greater the uh, um, uh, investment that you have done in the system, uh, the the higher the chances that you become you you become the uh, creator or the forger of the blocks uh, and you're given the permission to add blocks so the idea here again is that uh, you know the largest stakeholders will basically get the vote to do will be will have the maximum number of votes and they will be able to add the most number of blocks but having that there's usually some kind of randomization or round robin mechanism so that you know it's always there is a group of people that are involved rather than one person and uh, usually there is also uh, the ability to uh, slash or reject uh, or penalize uh, forgers that have uh, tried to add fraudulent uh, blocks to the system so uh, even though they can add the block the block is completely transparent and can be seen by everybody. So if there is an invalid or fraudulent block, immediately that can be rejected by the uh, other people in the system and uh, the yeah, and there is a mechanism for penalizing the forger that actually added it. So there is, it is a, uh, it is again a game theoretic mechanism. The next one that I have is what is known as a nonce, spelled as N-O-N-C-E. Can you describe what that is? Right. Uh, so a nonce essentially is one of those things that uh, is uh, talked about when you're doing cryptography. Uh, it's it's one of the ways in which you solve this cryptographic puzzle, uh, the hashing puzzles for proof of work. I, it's essentially a random number or random character or random piece of data, right? And uh, the reason why it is used is that uh, you can uh, you can add it to a existing piece of data so that uh, and and uh, so you 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 prevent replay protection or authentication encryption. So the idea here essentially from an encryption perspective is if you have a random piece of data that you add to another existing piece of data, even if somebody else has that existing piece of data, they cannot replicate your solution because you have that uh, random number that you unique to you, right? Uh, or it could be uh, also used as a replay protection in the sense that, okay, if this is a random piece of number that changes every time, uh, even if somebody tries to uh, recreate that piece of data, since they don't know what is the random piece of data that was created at that particular piece of time, and since it changes every time, there is no way for them to replicate that uh, the hash or the, the encrypted version of that particular data uh, at and at any time so nonce essentially is refers to this random piece of data that is added to uh, you know the existing uh, data that needs to be hashed or encrypted or converted in some way the next one that i have is block reward and as you mentioned earlier already uh, it's nothing but the uh, reward that the miner gets for successfully solving the cryptographic puzzle uh, what is block height 
Right. So block height essentially refers to the total number of blocks that have been uh, added to the ledger or to the blockchain preceding the current the given block. So essentially, so if you say, okay, uh, I want to go up to a block height of 10, right? So then you would basically start from the first block and you count up to nine and you will get the 10th, 10th, uh, the 10 number 10 would be the block that you want and uh, so essentially it is calculated as the length of the blockchain up to that block minus one great moving on uh, what are hashing algorithms and what is sha256 you know which is one of the more popular hashing algorithms right uh, so uh, a hashing algorithm is an algorithm it's a mathematical function essentially it is an algorithm uh, that converts a, an input of arbitrary length uh, to an output of a unique output of uh, fixed length. So, so in the case of SHA-256, uh, you can send give the SHA-256 uh, algorithm a uh, input of any size, right? And uh, uh, it is it it will output uh, a a string of two hundred and fifty six bits, right? So uh, the input could be one gigabyte. It could be multiple megabytes. It could be one byte. It could be uh, any size, right? Output will always be two hundred and fifty six bits, right? And uh, so, so that's the first uh, property. Second property essentially is that every piece of input will have a unique output. So there will be, so suppose if I have a string that says Nikhil Krishna, the exact sequence of characters that form Nikhil Krishna will come back with a unique hash of 256 bits, right? But even if I add a white space between uh, Nikhil and Krishna or add uh, a space after or put a dot in the middle or capitalize one of these, any single change that you do over there will return a hash that is completely unrelated and completely different from the ha original hash that was there, right? So you, the, the, the each string is uniquely identified by that particular hash, right? So... SHA-256, so, so that is a hashing algorithm. And SHA-256 basically is a member of the SHA-2 cryptographic hash, hash function. And it stands, the SHA stands for secure hash algorithm. And uh, 256 basically is a, uh, uh, is a description of the output, right? So it says that, okay, this is a one-way hash that will generate 256 bits. Great. Moving on, so what are public keys, private keys, and signatures, and how they happen? Right, so uh, so public keys and private keys uh, basically uh, uh, form part of what is known as the uh, signature. Uh, it, it's, it's a way of basically encrypting data. Right, so let let's put it that way. That's that's an easy way of thinking about it. So. A private key essentially is a random string, right? And uh, every the, there is a, again, another mathematical function or an algorithm that takes this random string as an input and generates a unique public key, 
right so this public key essentially is another random string but that random string is tied to this private key your your initial set of initial random string in a in a uh, in a what you call it deterministic manner so anything that you encrypt using the public key can be decrypted using the private key right and everything that is uh, uh, what do you call it uh, encrypted using a private key can be decrypted using the uh, can also be re-encrypted using the public key and you can see that they match right so the idea here essentially is that uh, what you do is you make the public key public so you give the public key to everybody that's essentially kind of like saying that okay here's the way in which you can encrypt something and send it to me and uh, the idea is that anybody who wants to send you a message they can encrypt it using that public key and only you would be able to decrypt it right so once he has encrypted using the public key even the person who has encrypted it will not be able to decrypt that uh, message but he would not need to because he already has a message he's the one that's sending the message right but the idea essentially is that nobody else can do it uh, unless you have the private key and only the uh, owner of the private key will be able to decrypt that message so uh, a signature is basically created using a private key and serve the purpose of proving to the network that i am the owner of that particular private key uh, right so the it it's it, 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 since you are the only one who can actually sign that particular transaction using that particular uh, private key uh, it proves to everybody else that okay you have the authority to do that and therefore that particular transaction is a valid transaction it's not been uh, used it's not being hijacked by somebody else moving on so the next set of uh, terms that we'll discuss relate with attacks uh, so terms like 51% attack civil attack ddos nikhil do you want to touch upon that yeah sure so uh, when you talk about attack so first of all let's define what is an attack an attack essentially is a method by which you can compromise a blockchain system so what do you mean by compromising a blockchain system so that is where the nuances come in you can compromise the blockchain system in multiple ways you can basically prevent that blockchain system from functioning right so that is a denial of service you do not the blockchain cannot respond or cannot do anything because you are essentially stopping it from doing that so that is known as a de denial of service now blockchains are distributed systems so it is not possible for you to deny uh, to like put a denial of service on one particular node and expect the blockchain not to i mean expect expect the blockchain to stop uh, because it is since it is decentralized it's a network of nodes and all the nodes are uh, equally uh, have all the knowledge required you cannot actually do uh, prevent that particular uh, by preventing one by stopping one node doesn't doesn't achieve your objective you need to actually then stop every node in the system or disrupt the communications between every node in the system or enough nodes in the system that the network is degraded the network service is degraded so that's known as a distribu distributed denial of service then you have another attack which is known as the uh, uh, malicious or civil attack or the malicious node attack so essentially what a civil attack essentially is is that you have one player or one particular actor in that particular blockchain network that is pretending to be multiple actors so essentially 
uh, you have uh, Alice and Alice is one node and then uh, she uh, creates another node and calls herself Bob and then she creates another node and calls herself Charlie and creates yet another node and calls herself uh, I know Daniel and uh, and then she goes on doing this and uh, so until there is a large number of nodes in the network which people think are multiple entities but are actually one so this actually gives them the ability to collude right this allows them to uh, try to attack the network uh, by uh, what is that by by uh, sending data or uh, since since uh, this is all alice alice knows what is happening in all of these nodes she can then try to uh, disrupt the network or uh, cheat the network or do uh, any other dif any of various different types of attacks and this is uh, known as a Sybil attack. A 51% attack essentially refers to an attack where a miner or a group of miners control more than 50% of a network's hash rate so or computing power right so this is a unique to proof of work transactions uh, proof of proof of work blockchains. So the idea here essentially is that if they have more than 50% of the uh, computing power, the, the they they would be uh, there would be a more than 50 51% chance of them actually being able to uh, prevent the network uh, to do censorship to control which is the block that comes uh, next and to control what transactions that come in that block. So uh, this uh, this is this, there is another uh, the thing is that uh, they can uh, also allow them to reverse transactions. So essentially, they can uh, since they have fifty one percent of the uh, compute power, they will be able to create uh, more valid blocks. So they will be able to recreate valid blocks uh, faster than the rest of the. Uh, the rest of the network and therefore they can create their own version of the block and make that the uh, version of truth and and that that breaks the immutability idea and allows for the double spending great so moving on the next term that i have is what is known as zero knowledge proof and uh, this is something that became pretty relevant especially after uh, the coming of a cryptocurrency called zcash so Nikhil, do you want to touch on what zero knowledge proof is? So a zero knowledge proof essentially is a mathematical proof that allows uh, people to be able to assert properties about a piece of data without revealing that piece of data. That's the simplest way I can put it. So essentially what that does allows you to do is it allows you to uh, hide uh, your transactions. So in, in the case of Zcash basically allows them to basically make transactions without revealing uh, the ownership of the, uh, the the from and to parties, right? The party from from uh, that is transferring the uh, Zcash from and the party it is going to at the same time be able to assert the validity of the transaction in a mathematically uh, what do you call it clear way in that in that it is a proof and that cannot be refuted right so that essentially is what 
new zero knowledge proofs is it's been used in zcash it's now being brought into ethereum it's being used in a lot of places especially in areas where privacy is a concern great so the next term that i have is what is known as a fork uh, and so you have also hard fork and a soft fork can you go into that what forking is right so what is forking a fork basically is this term that comes from the open source uh, community and the open source movement uh, essentially what it means is that uh, you have a piece of software and you take that piece of software you create a copy of it change it uh, in some way that is incompatible with the previous version and then move it forward right so this is usually in the open source considered to be a contentious thing it is a negative thing it, it usually indicates there is some kind of fault line in the open source project uh, that is being uh, brought about but uh, when it comes to blockchains actually this is now become almost like a governance mechanism right so if you take the ethereum hawk uh, the ethereum blockchain uh you have uh, hard forks that are being planned right so you basically have people saying that okay uh we are this is the roadmap for ethereum and there are these hard forks that are being planned and uh, that that's basically an example where the community itself is saying that okay fine this version of the software will no longer be valid and then we will we all be moving to this new version of a software and that's the fork right uh a hard fork uh, so again in the blockchain community there have been a distinguishing between hard forks and soft forks a hard fork is a permanent change uh, from the current version of blockchain uh, where the nodes in the where the nodes that are running the new version of the software do not acknowledge uh, or accept transactions on from the old version of the software so it it requires basically all the nodes to update to the latest version simultaneously to continue operating as part of the network otherwise you basically get left out of the network and that's not to say that the old version cannot continue to exist but it can it will no longer be considered part of that particular original network right a soft fork on the other hand is a backward compatible change or an upgrade in the protocol where the new version is compatible with the older version this is typically done for things like you know addressing bugs or performance uh, challenges or stuff like that minor uh, ch- changes that need to be de- done to uh, make sure that you know the software is functioning properly and efficiently and it usually involves that uh, you know there is no change in the actual data format or uh, the even if there is a change in the data format the older versions of the data format are still accepted in uh, and uh, the older version of the protocol can continue to run and function as as before um, the one one other thing about uh, interesting thing about hard forks and soft forks is the hard forks usually result in you know incompatible versions of the ledger so the ledger data itself changes and you will not be able to uh, the old read the old version anymore um yeah so that's that's basically forking and uh, soft hard forks and soft forks so the next one that i have is what is an address and what is the difference between an address and public key so we talked about public keys earlier when we talked about private keys and public keys right so an address essentially especially in bitcoin uh, is a version of the uh public key or a unique 
ID of that of that particular user. So it doesn't necessarily mean that that is his public key, but it is a unique ID of that user. It can be used in so in, in some blockchains like uh, the the public key of the uh, user itself is considered to be the address, uh, but it is not necessary, right? So in in the case of Bitcoin, for example, you have a fifty eight character address. And uh, uh, that's that is the unique address that represents that particular account or that particular user or that particular transaction, and uh, that does not mean that 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 particular address is the public key of the user. Great. Next, we have wallets. So, what are wallets? What are software, hardware, and paper wallets? So it's interesting. So wallets essentially are uh, tools that have been created uh, in order for uh, you know the members of the blockchain to manage their cryptocurrencies. So one of the interesting things about a blockchain is that since it is decentralized, there is no center central central point of control. Uh, there's also no central point of responsibility, right? So if somebody steals something, in a very real sense, it's gone, right? And uh, so one of the things about blockchains, difficult things about blockchains is the fact that you have to manage uh, these public keys and private keys and addresses all on your own, right? And all of these are uh, complex numbers, 256-bit numbers. So there's not, you cannot, it's not like you can memorize them or anything. So there is a, there, so there is a lot of software that has come up uh, in various forms to help you manage this. So the simplest ones and the most least secure ones are what are considered to be the software wallets. And the software wallet essentially is nothing but a piece of software that is running on your uh, desktop, uh, mobile phone, uh, tablet, whatever it is, uh, where uh, which which basically keeps a track of all the public keys and private keys that you own, and uh, you know what 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 transactions. Uh, have been made against them and therefore what is the balance against them um, a hardware wallet on the other hand essentially is uh, usually some kind of usb key or a bluetooth key uh, it's a piece of hardware that is external to the device that uh, basically is encrypted internally in an encrypted highly secure manner maintaining the same uh, you know set of private keys and public keys but it is done in such a way that you know that uh, the hardware is encrypting it and therefore there there is it's a higher higher level of security a uh, paper wallet uh, is essentially the old fashioned method where you what what they are doing is they are basically letting you write down your public key and private key and keeping it separately physically separate from the internet and the software and the computer and uh, theoretically this would probably be the safest method but you know it depends on how how, <laughs> how diligent and how careful you are in keeping those paper keys uh, in safe places uh, there's actually one more type that has now come out and this is known as a smart contract wallet so the idea essentially here uh, is that uh, you're creating multi-signature wallets that are essentially your own private smart contract that you deploy on the blockchain right so you are your wallet essentially is deployed on the blockchain and it is the one that is that will manage your uh, assets for you right and this is typically nowadays done in the context of uh, you know defi 
where you know they have all these different types of tokens and you want to manage all of them and so their smart contracts are wallets are coming up to help you manage all of that a version of this also is multi-signature wallets smart contract wallets are uh, uh, also multi-signature so the idea here essentially is that even if you lose your key you can uh, you would have uh, the wallet would basically allow you a feature where you can give uh, multiple other people uh, limited uh, or controlled access to your wallet so that even if you lose your key you can go to these other people uh, uh, and get enough uh, signatures from them or uh, authorization from them so that you can then go go and still access the wallet and then you know uh, invalidate the key that you lost and then create a new key so next we have what is known as uh, testnet and uh, nikhil can you describe what is a testnet and what is the difference between a mainnet and a testnet sure so this is again something that comes out of software engineering uh, so the idea essentially here is that you're creating blockchain essentially is a software system right so you need to test it so uh, the way uh, these software systems are tested is usually using a testing uh, area and uh, a testnet is essentially a test area of the software system so you have a testnet which is essentially uh, a smaller set of nodes being used primarily by developers to test out you know their applications their dapps their uh, any upgrades to the software that is happening uh, for uh, hard folks, soft folks, etc. Right. So a testnet usually is an alternative network. Uh, you you don't you you will have the cryptocurrency tokens inside it mainly because that's part of the testing that you need to do, but they won't have any value associated to it. Right. And uh, a testnet is usually where faucets are found, because you don't you need to have a mechanism to freely get. Uh, some tokens so that you can actually test your application. A mainnet, on the other hand, is the production version. A mainnet is essentially where the you know the rubber hits the road. It's 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 the production rollout of this of the blockchain uh, network. Next, we have what is known as a DAG or Directed Acyclic Graph. Uh, so DAG is actually uh, an alternate data structure in contrast to what uh, the blockchain is. Uh, Nikhil, do you want to touch on what a DAG is? Yeah, so uh, DAG essentially is a uh, directed acyclic graph. It's essentially a computer science uh, construct. It's a data structure in computer science. And the idea here is uh, instead of bundling the tech, uh, data together into blocks and then linearly chaining them together, uh, directed acyclic graphs require the data to reference and validate past data. So essentially it is a two-way kind of uh, uh, validation. Typically, uh, at least in the blockchain implementations that I've seen, uh, they deal directly with transactions. So you don't actually have blocks of uh, transactions being added. You have one transaction. Each transaction as it gets added, it gets added into this uh, directed acyclic graph. And... Uh, the, the, there will be various rules about it. Some of them basically will say, okay, fine, you need to have a reference to two other uh, transactions uh, and, or that get uh, the thing, or you would have some kind of uh, gossip uh, structure which says that, okay, 
uh, I heard about this transaction from these two other nodes, etc, etc. So the point basically is that uh, blockchain essentially is a linear linked uh, chain, whereas a, dissected, a, a, a directed acyclic graph is a graph which is a two-dimensional structure which has multiple different relationships and uh, therefore it's not linear in any way. Next, we have what is known as an oracle. So oracle is specifically relevant to uh, blockchains when we are discussing smart contracts and uh, decentralized applications. So Nikhil, can you describe what an oracle is? Mm, an oracle is a service, essentially, uh, that can identify information from outside a blockchain and translate it in a way so it can be used within the blockchain. So if you look at a blockchain network, right, and you look at a blockchain ledger, the only thing that you can actually make assertions about immutability and truth about uh, what's in the ledger, right? Because that's the thing that is being protected by the blockchain. So by definition, that means that only things that the blockchains are aware of are what's already inside the network. But that's not how the real world works, right? So the real world work, you have uh, things that are happening outside of the context of that particular network and of that particular network ledger. So the question becomes, how do you get information in? And how do you get information in in a, way, in a manner that is trustworthy? And this is where a brock, um, Oracle comes in. So Oracles also can be of various types. They can be software Oracles, hardware Oracles, they can be centralized, they can be decentralized. Um, so th there's, a, there's a bunch of uh, ways in which it can be done, but all of them essentially act as a bridge between the blockchain and the outside world. And uh, they provide it, provide the blockchain data that is uh, considered to be reliable and considered to be a source of truth. Next, we have what is known as quantum resistance. Can you elaborate on that? Sure, yeah. So quantum resistance is basically the concern that, okay, uh, how can uh, the cryptography that is underlying a blockchain uh, resist uh, the advent of quantum computers? So one of the things about blockchain networks and the properties of a blockchain networks is that it is basically the cryptographic properties of the fundamental hashing algorithms and all the other algorithms, private key, public key, cryptography, all these cryptographic constructs. It is the, it is there what do you call it, uh, uh, resistance to being hacked or resistance to being compromised that is actually driving, giving these blockchains that the, the ability to be, you know, sources of truth and the ability to function without trust. So with conventional computers, uh, conven conventional computing, this, this, this is a pretty reasonable assumption to make, but with, with the advent of quantum computers and the fact that quantum computers are purportedly much, much more, vastly more fast in more orders of magnitude, uh, many orders of magnitude more powerful, um, the idea that, okay, it would take conventional computers a very, very long time to break a... Uh, cryptographic algorithm of today no longer becomes uh, viable in the face of quantum cryptography and uh, so so essentially the idea uh, quantum uh, computers basically uh, quantum resistance essentially is the quest for uh, cryptographic algorithms that 
uh, are uh, strong and that can resist uh, the attack from a quantum computer. And finally, we have what are known as layer two solutions. So layer two solutions are also referred to as uh, scaling solutions for blockchain based systems. So that includes technologies like the lightning network or the radio network for Ethereum. Uh, so Nikhil, do you want to explain what layer two solutions are? Right. So I, I personally see layer two solutions from two methods. So one, like I said, one is scaling. The other one is uh, latency and performance. So essentially, if you look at performance, it's the lightning network. Scaling is things like plasma and, uh, you know, uh, side chains and stuff like that. Um, so bo all of these basically f rest on the fundamental uh, layer that, okay, we have blockchains now that are functioning at a layer one in a consistent and uh, reliable manner. They have certain properties that we want, uh, like immutability and uh, resistance to uh, uh, censorship, etc., etc. And uh, but they also have fundamental problems, which is essentially they are not very scalable, they are not very performant, uh, it costs a lot, etc., etc. So how do we actually? Uh, address these issues without compromising the fundamental uh, properties that we desire, right, of a blockchain. And this is where layer two solutions come in. Layer two solutions essentially create uh, software that, or create software solutions that uh, address the scalability and latency at the cost of some of the, uh, you know, uh, strong, uh, censorship resistance resistance and strong immutability but hedge that by actually uh, periodically putting data back into the uh, layer one right so a classic example of that is a side chain in plus uh, uh, in in ethereum right so in ethereum the side chain concept of plasma as it's called what their idea is essentially is that you build uh, your own side network or side chain with your own type of uh, uh, you know uh, consensus mechanism you don't use pure proof of work or you don't use any powerful consensus mechanism but you have a weaker version which is fine for the regular day-to-day uh, uh, -day activities but anytime there is a dispute or anytime the, there is a period there is a periodic uh, reconciliation with the main ethereum network so the side chain is run off as a smart contract on the main ethereum network and uh, periodically basically the data or the state of the side chain is saved off into the main uh, ethereum network and uh, so in case of there is a dispute or in case there is anybody who wants to leave this they can roll back and uh, go back to the state it the last state of the net of uh, uh, which has been stored in ethereum in the main Ethereum chain and then use that to uh, settle out their investments. All right, folks, that concludes our two-part series on blockchain basics. If you haven't checked out part one focusing on business, be sure to check it out, where we cover all the basic business terms of blockchain, such as ICOs, decentralized exchanges, inflation, etc. Once again, we hope that you found this episode useful. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and also you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.